Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Himalaya. If some guy came up to you and said, look, I got $30 million in a cave somewhere. I've got five minutes to live can't write it down. We don't have any recording equipment. So I'm going to tell you this one time and this one time only how to get to the treasure. Now, how much concentration do you think you would have on that information? You need to listen to your partner with that same sense of detail and passion. And if you listen like they're trying to send you to a million-dollar treasure, you will, in fact, find that million-dollar treasure because good love over a long period of time is a million dollars worth of happy. I believe that. Hi, I'm Judge Lynn Toller, and welcome to That Conversation. The pod course in which I help you learn to talk to the person that you're in love with. Today's episode is going to be called The Art of Listening. You know, I spent 13 years on the bench on divorce court, and we flew couples in from all over the country. And it was such an educational experience. And one of the most educational parts about it was the times I would sit back and simply allow what most judges would never permit, which is for the two litigants to talk to one another. Cross-talk, chit-chat. Do you want to know why I did that? I did that so I could understand what was going wrong in their house. 90% of the time, no matter what the problem was at home, it was either caused by or exacerbated by the inability to communicate effectively. When I would sit there and watch those couples, you could tell what one was saying and what the other one was hearing, and rarely was that the case. You can't have effective communication unless you're an effective listener. Because if you're not an effective listener, you won't hear what you're being told. Oh, you'll hear the words, you might hear the fears, you might hear the problems, but you don't hear what is exactly is being said. Listening is a skill. It's an art. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to start with a story. This story is about a woman, and I tell you, I can still see her in my mind's eye. She had on a white shirt with a pencil black skirt. And she was all sweet and all smile. She came out there, opened her mouth, and I'm telling you, the words left there like a freight train. She started with the thought of the day and went rumbling past every complaint, problem, issue, or drama that she had ever had with the man that she was with. And by the time she was over, we were all exhausted. Joe was tired. 
Her husband was tired, I was tired. She talked about everything all the time, but she didn't know what she was talking about. She never addressed the problem that she had with the man because she didn't understand what the man's problem was because she spent all of her time talking and not listening. Effective communication is not about how many words that you can land on other people. It's not about how well you can get your point of view across if, in fact, your point of view does not relate to or have any basis in the facts of what the other person feels and needs. You're just expressing yourself. You are not making yourself understood. To make yourself understood, you have to listen. And listening is hard. A lot of people confuse hearing and listening. Hearing is what happens when the words hit your eardrum. Listening is what you do with those words once they hit your brain. Do you let them make you angry? Do you let them sidetrack you? Do you not pay attention to them? What do you do with those words once they hit your brain? Not only is listening hard, listening inside a relationship, a romantic relationship when you're in love with someone is just that much harder. Number one, because you make assumptions that that person knows you well and loves you and therefore should understand you even if you're not making yourself clear. That is not true. I had another young lady in my courtroom demonstrate another thing that was not true about listening. She said her man never listened to her. And then I asked her, well, just tell him right now one of the things that you want him to hear. And so she explained it to me, and it was rather rational. So I looked at him and I said, well, I understood what she said. Did you understand what she said? He said, yeah, I did. But she don't talk like that when we're home. She talked like that because you're here and that she's in public. But at home, she is all crunk with it, crank with it, and comes at me like a ton of bricks. I turned around. I looked at her and I said, is that true? And she said, the one thing I know is problem number 17A in communication in relationships. She says, well, of course I'm not as, I don't know, put together. She didn't say that, but that's what she meant. Of course I'm not like this at home. When I'm at home, I'm at home, and I feel like I have the right to let it rip, to let him feel what I feel just the way I feel it. And I said, as Dr. Phil often does, how's that working for you? I was met with silence. You're listening to That Conversation, a Himalaya Learning production. For exclusive content and to talk to me directly, go to Himalaya.com and enter the promo code JUDGELEN at checkout to get your first 14 days free. We hope you enjoy. Another difficulty we run into home when we are trying to listen is that we live in a day and age where 
we receive and elicit so much information so quickly, so rapidly. We have very short attention spans. We got the phones in our hands. We got the iPod on. We got our streaming services. We got social media where we share our wants and our feelings. And we have all of these emotions that we have set into motion with technology that allows us to relay it at lightning speed. So we're not used to that old, slow, plodding, we got to walk through the weeds of these these conversation and these needs in a slow, methodical fashion because that's not the speed at which we live life these days. All of those things have to be taken into consideration when you start the listening process at home. And last, but certainly by no means least, we have to address the heightened emotionality that we get at home. When your significant other talks to you, it really goes into your soul. If the guy at the grocery store doesn't understand who you are or talks to you as if you are just another jerk on the street, which when you think about it, that's all you are to them. But when the person at home, the person that loves you, is supposed to know you, says something hurtful, it goes straight to your sense of self, your center, and your self-esteem. And it makes that much more difficult to put away your emotions long enough to understand what you're being told. What we're going to do in this episode of That Conversation is help you through that conversational minefield. You know, I know there are a lot of different kinds of conversations that you have with the person that you're in love with. You have these meaningless ones that are just logistical. You have the chit-chat and the, and the fun and the telling about the days. But what we're talking about here when you truly have to use your listening skills are those complicated or difficult conversations that you have to have. And you all know what I'm talking about. Jealousies and securities, if, you, if you're upset about money or time, or if you feel that you're not being cared for or loved in the way that you want to be, or something that they're doing that you don't like, or something that you'd wish that they would do, but they're not doing. Those are the complicated conversations that require listening to become a skill. The first thing I would recommend that you do in order to allow your conversations to become the the valuable exchange of information that you need is to set up before you have to sit down. What I mean by that is this. If you are in a romantic relationship with somebody, whether you're living together or living apart, you should have a place. You should have a way. You should have a process in place to have those difficult conversations. Just for instance, there's a place in my crib where I'll sit right next to my husband, put my hand on his leg, and he knows we're about to have a conversation that may not go that may not be about a delightful subject. But the reason that I have all of those things in place is that that sets his mind right. If you have rules about how to have hard conversations, look, baby, when we have another conversation like this, when we look like we're about to have an argument, let's sit down over here. I'll put my hand on your shoulder. I'll put, we'll hold hands. And there'll be rules to this part of the conversation. We know it's going to be difficult. We're going to try to set aside our emotions, and we're going to try to put 
each other in the in the bright light of the best conversation that we can have. We won't interrupt. We will try not to raise our voices. We won't call names and we won't curse. Now, of course, that doesn't always work out. But if you have that as your goal, and if you have a place where you sit that implicates all of those rules, it's like church. When you go into church, you know to be quiet. You ain't cussing and carrying on and hooping and hollering. Same thing. Set yourself up for a successful, difficult conversation. Next thing you got to do is set the table once you're there. Now, this is how you set the table for a good talk. First thing you do when you go into that space in your home or if you don't have a space in that home, when you sit down and you're getting ready to do it, make a point. Turn that television off. Put that phone down. I don't want those controllers anywhere near you. You have to excuse the rest of the world from being any part of this conversation. You cannot be distracted. You cannot be other focused. You have to be there in mind, body, and spirit. The second thing you have to do to make sure that we have a good talk is remember that we don't simply convey information through words. We've got body language. We've got tone. We've got touch. We've got smiles, frowns, sad expressions with our eyes. Make sure that all of the things that you communicate with, your body, your tone, your words, everything, are on board with you. So this conversation can not only convey good words, but convey good feelings. And if you put the other person at ease, make them comfortable, and make them know that you're interested in everything they have to say, it brings down the level of angst that they enter into the relationship with. When their angst goes down, your angst goes down. When they get cooler, you get cooler. And it allows for more to get said before anyone gets upset. The next thing you have to do is remember who you are. I'm going to have a couple of examples for this. The first one is, I was in divorce court one day. There was a woman and a man there. The husband had to be at least six foot five, 300 and some pounds. And he had a deep voice like uh, Barry White. I was going to say Barry Williams, but that's the guy on the Brady Bunch. I used to love that show. But anyway, (laughs) that's neither here nor there. He would be saying something very benign. But his imposing presence made it sound like he was coming for you. And I pointed that out to him. And his response to me was, yeah, but I love her. A meritor. She knows that. She knows what it is. And I said, you know what? You scared me. And I'm here. I'm a judge on a bench in a room full of people. I got a man standing next to me, got a gun on his hip. And it still rattled me a bit the way you came across Love notwithstanding, if a person perceives aggression, their cortisol level, their adrenaline levels, they will all go up and they will respond as if they are under siege. You should know how big you are. You should know how imposing you are. And you should make an effort to bring that down 
in order to contribute to the conversation in a way that doesn't startle your woman. And I'm not saying don't be who you are, don't be a dude, but just remember how you come across. Like if an old lady was in a room, you'd come across differently than one of your male friends were in the room. If a little kid was in the room, you would do it differently. This is the love of your life. This is the woman that you're with. Why wouldn't you try to come across to her in a manner that she finds easy to absorb? Because if she's in a place where she can absorb what you're saying, she will be better able to understand what you want. Now, I'm going to tell you another story. This story is from my personal life. I can be a very loud and passionate individual. I can be very impatient And you can hear that passion and impatience in my voice. I used to approach my conversations with my husband with a level of um, lawyerly lunging. You know, because lawyers, we lunge. We're hired guns. I was a litigator. I used to go in court and argue my case and defend corporations or sue people. And I came across when I was making a point like I was a solicitor. And I had to learn over the years, like, wait a minute. Even though these are my best oratory skills, even though this is what I use to make the rest of the world understand me, this is not the appropriate conversational tone and method to have with my man. I needed to show him that I wasn't trying to beat him. I was just trying to understand him. So again, remember who you are and how you come across and make sure you adjust that so you can do it in the best way possible. Now that we have set the listening tables, let's talk a little bit about active listening rules. Listening, as I have said before, is not hearing. It is about receiving information and understanding that information. There's one very, very common thing that a lot of people do when they contend they are listening, but in fact are only hearing. And I call it conversational aropadope. You remember Muhammad Ali? If he was fighting a big dude and he wanted to wear that cat out without having to expend any of his own energy, he would lean up against that rope, put his arms up in front of him, and let the other person wear themselves out. Some people engaged in conversational rope-a-dope. In other words, they're just quiet while the other person is is speaking. They don't interrupt, and they think they're doing something simply by not interrupting. And they are. Admittedly, if you're interrupting people, you're not paying attention. If you're interrupting people, that means you were trying to figure out what you want to say in response while that person is still talking. So clearly, you can't hear and listen and understand what they said. So a lot of people have taken the tact of, well, I'm simply not going to talk while the other person is talking, and that will show that I am listening. It does not. If you're just quiet and you're not actively paying attention to what they're saying and trying to figure out exactly what they mean by what they're saying, you're playing conversational rope-a-dope and it doesn't help. You should be listening to your woman or man's conversation in a manner that would allow you to follow a path or a map to treasure. This is what I mean. If some guy came up to you and said, look, I got $30 million in a cave somewhere. I've got five minutes to live. 
can't write it down. We don't have any recording equipment. So I'm going to tell you this one time and this one time only how to get to the treasure. Now, how much concentration do you think you would have on that information? You would be listening. You would be trying to remember. You would be putting pictures in your brain in order to keep that information in there in a way that you can call it up. You need to listen to your partner with that same sense of detail and passion. I want to know where she's trying to get me to go. I want to know what he's trying to get me to understand. And if you listen like they're trying to send you to a million-dollar treasure, you will, in fact, find that million-dollar treasure because good love over a long period of time is a million dollars worth of happy. I believe that. The next active listening rule I have for you is to ensure that you do understand what you're receiving by taking in what they said, stopping them for a second and say, let me make sure I understand. This does two things. Number one, it allows you to repeat what they said. And if you repeat what they said in your own words too, you just can't repeat their words word for word. You have to show that you understand it by being able to repeat it in your own words. That will allow you to show them that, hey, this individual is really listening. And if you got it right, their temperature yet again will go down because you they will feel like, huh, this person's receiving me. He's understanding me. She's understanding what I want to say. And she's really caring about what I'm talking about. And two, it will keep them from repeating themselves. I found this out on the criminal bench. If you talk to somebody and they don't think you understand what they said, they'll, they'll keep repeating it. Because people, are, people say and do things because they really believe it makes sense. And they can't be convinced that they don't make sense by whatever argument you have if they don't believe you understand their argument. So if you never acknowledge that you understood what they were saying, they'll keep repeating it because clearly if I was listening, I would agree because it made sense to them. So in order to keep those things working for you, listen, receive, and repeat what you heard in your own words. And the last little bonus that gives you in the off chance, and it's not often that off of a chance, sometimes it's how it goes regularly, you may have gotten it wrong from the jump. Do you know how many conversations I have had with my husband where we spent a half hour fussing about something and neither one of us was on the same topic? What a waste of time. Had we managed to sit down, listen, and repeat what we heard, we would have found out we weren't on the same page and we could have started all over again. The third rule for active listening. You need to dig into what people are saying. It's not enough to simply repeat what they've said to you in your own words, but it's also important to let them know that you care about how they feel. Often people will tell you things and they really don't get to what they're supposed to be talking about. I had this young lady. She came into the courtroom. She kept talking about all of the things that he says to other women that she found insulting. And none of them were, but that's what she was hearing. 
And she was saying that as if that was her problem. But upon inquiry, which is what I did in divorce court as to why she felt these statements were inappropriate, I found out that she felt that he paid more attention to other women than herself. She didn't say it, but that's what she meant. If you ask questions, open-ended ones, well, how did you get there? Or what did you mean by that? Well, give me a few examples of, uh, of what you're talking about and how that made you feel. That shows active listening. It allows you to dig into what they're telling you so maybe you both have a better idea about what you are trying to convey. The second point that does is, again, demonstrate to the person to whom you're speaking, which, let's keep in mind, is the person you love, that you're interested in how they feel and what they need and what they want. Again, that establishes a sound foundation for a conversation that will lead to dedication between the two of you on an ongoing basis. Rule number four for active listening. Make your inquiries sound like inquiries. Don't just, well, what are you talking about? Well, what do you mean? I didn't say that. You're not right. Well, wait a minute. Don't be loud and pushy. Don't, if they give you seven examples of something and only four of them true, don't concentrate on the three that aren't true. Say, well, that one didn't happen. That one didn't happen. Ask them why they feel that all of those things are examples of something that you did wrong or you failed to do or things that are just upsetting you. Don't be accusational. Don't be critical. Don't be looking for where they're wrong. And that's what happens in so many conversations, especially complicated ones. I recall one time I was, um, I am the co-host of a show called Marriage Boot Camp on WeTV. And Marriage Boot Camp is a place where we bring in married couples and dating couples and who are having complications and we try to help them work it out. I would watch them for 10 hours a day from screens behind the scenes just so I could watch them for patterns about how they speak, how they convey information to one another, how they deal with one another. So I could, at the end of the day, give them some positive and informational feedback about what they're doing wrong. I watched this one couple. They were from a Black Ink crew. Great couple. Whenever they had an argument, what would happen is she would state her position. And if it did implicate something that he did wrong, he would shift the subject. Something close to what they were talking about, but not exactly what they were talking about. Because at no point did he want to sign on for him having sinned at all. So she wouldn't catch him, but he was a, what I call the subject shifter, that any time some, some behavior implicated wrongdoing on his part, he would move the subject over and move the subject over until he finally moved the subject on some sin she committed. And then he would say, and there it is. That's our problem. He was a subject shifter and a sin chaser. Don't be that kind of person who's trying to diminish what somebody else is saying because you feel distress. What you need to do is allow what's being said to be said, understand it, and then when you have an opportunity, reply. But make sure that you get the underlying point made as opposed to feeling good about the point in the moment that it's made. 
The last rule that I have for active listening is do not answer the dog whistle of insult. Now, our bodies are set up the way that they're set up. And our bodies do a whole lot to keep us safe from harm. Our bodies also take on insult, criticism, or critiques as harm. Our brain sees an attack. Our brain sees that we are being subjected to some negative information. And what it does is it sends out all these hormones to deal with a fight. So whenever somebody says something to you, legitimate or no, that implicates something you may or may not have done wrong, your body chemistry is going to start working against you because it's going to want to put you in a place to fight. In order to avoid getting caught up by the dog whistle of a negative comment, you got to avoid the three Ds. Criticism makes you feel threatened. And as I said, the body releases the very same chemicals that it would if a lion jumped out at you. But remember, your woman or your man's words are not claws. They're not teeth. They're information. It may be correct. It may be incorrect, but if you respond with an emotional response designed to fight a tiger, you will not allow yourself to engage in a conversation that will allow the two of you to resolve your issues. The second thing that you might do in order to uh, answer the dog whistle of insult is to deflect. In other words, oh, I know what she's saying, but that does not apply to me. You're going to bat away the words because they're not ones you want to hear. And so you just say, she doesn't understand. He's got it wrong. They don't understand me. Therefore, anything they said after uh, the insult, I don't want to hear. The interesting thing is that even if they're wrong about why you did something or what you did, it's imperative that you understand that that's how they feel because it may be a matter of getting them to understand what your true motives or efforts are as opposed to simply saying you're wrong. If you can get them to your true motives, then they may not be insulted, upset, or distressed by something that you're doing that's not designed to do that. So don't deflect even if the information is incorrect. Try to understand how they got to the opinion that they have. And here is the last of the three Ds for the dog whistle of insult. I've met a lot of people, typically women. I try not to be too gender focused, but, you know, men and women think differently. They just, they, they, they really, really do. But I've, I've met a cadre of women who deflate when they are criticized that, uh, and I don't know if it's societal or, or, or our desire to please people. I don't know if it's bit what's been asked of us for so long. But any criticism from their man is taken on and makes you feel smaller and smaller and smaller. This often happens when they are with a person who picks at them for a living. And this is not a solely male thing that they do. There are women out there who just are constant, nonstop dart throwers in their man's ego just because they can't get everything that they want. 
So don't take on criticism and make you feel small. Just say, it may be correct, it may not be correct, but I'm going to listen to figure out why, what, so we can have a conversation where both of us are satisfied about what we hear, what we do, and what we feel. Now we've talked about all of the things, not all of the things, but some of the major things that you have to do in order to be a good listener. Another thing you have to do in order to have a great conversation is encourage your partner to be a good listener as well. They may not listen to this podcast. So what do you do if you are trying to listen well and your partner isn't on board with you? Sometimes what you have to do is cool them out and calm them down from the very beginning so they can actively and effectively listen to what you have to say when it becomes your turn. I have found that when you approach them with the comment or with the understanding that I am looking to listen to you, I am looking to receive the information that you give me, It gives them a moment to say, hey, this person is not the problem that I have. It's what they're doing that's the problem and that I don't have to come out all mad and angry that this person, if I remain calm, will listen to what I have to say. And if a person starts to spark up during their conversation with you, could you you can put out your hand and and touch him, say, you know, I'm trying to hear everything you say. I'm trying to meet the issues where they live, but I can't keep up with you. Can we talk one at a time? I'll be more likely to be able to address what you need if you can give it to me in a way that helps me understand and just doesn't start start chaos and start business. The second thing you can do to help other people listen is to limit the topic off top. If you're in a romantic relationship, you probably have issues on a whole bunch of different levels. And one thing implicates another thing that implicates what you did last Saturday, which implicates what you did 10 months ago, all kinds of things. It may even implicate something some other dude or woman have done from you a long time ago, but you don't really understand. A lot of people get into conversations and they just kind of flood the other person with all the difficulties and the problems that they have on a whole lot of different levels. And all you do is end up uh, conveying a whole lot of dismay, but no information. If you want to help the other person listen well, suggest limiting the topic off top. In other words, I know we got a lot going on, but you want to talk to me about A, let's make sure we stay on A. You write A down on a piece of paper so all of you can refocus on A if A starts to fade in in the shadow of all the other stuff that's going wrong in your relationship. So if you make that request up front, get them to sign on, and when they start to diverge or, or descend, you can bring them back. Remember, we're talking about this now. I'm willing to talk about the rest later, but right now, I want to hear what you got to say about A. That leads me to the third thing that you can do. Sometimes it pays to have a piece of paper and write it down. If you've got a, shub- a subject shifter or a, or a uh, sin chaser, sometimes if you could just write down what's going on. So one, if you resist the urge to 
interrupt and correct because you know you won't forget the point because you have it there. And then if you write down everything you said, the other person can see, well, hey, not only did I talk about topic A, I talked about B, C, D, E, F, and G and got almost to Z and never resolved the thing. Sometimes putting things in the way that people can see themselves without having to critique them allows them to see what they're doing wrong. I cannot tell you how many times I have told litigants on divorce court, please, when this show airs, tape it and watch it over and over and over again and see the way that you're communicating. See how many topics you covered. See how anxious and angry you got. See what names you called and what things you did. People don't see themselves, and that opportunity to do so is always enlightening. So you can write stuff down and and warn them first, though. Say, hey, I'm going to write these things down so I can make sure I address everything you want to address and show it to them as a tool as opposed to like you writing an opposing brief and are going to, to fight them in court. We don't want that to happen. Ladies and gentlemen, those are some of the things that help you have a conversation that is worth its weight in gold. The art of listening, it is so critical. It is so crucial. I will continue to talk about it as this pod course continues. But these are the base things that I would love for you to be in touch with, to be in tune with in order to assist you. Your homework, as you you know, I always have homework, is to start a conversation in a different way. Just give it a try so you can kick off a conversation in a new way. You know what they say, the definition of insanity is continuing to do the same thing and expect a different result. Just pick something and try it. See what happens and tell them why you're trying it because you wanna understand, you wanna know, you wanna have effective communication. So that's it for this week. Next week, we're going to talk specifically about different types of difficult situations and difficult conversations that you have to have so we can suggest some ways to step into some um, land that has many minefields in it and avoid them. I hope to be able to address a few of the issues that you found you've fallen into in your life. But to make sure that I can address those issues, why don't you join me on that conversations community on Himalaya.com? Please ask me some questions. Talk about what you want to know or some difficulties that you're running into so you and I could possibly discuss them on a later episode of that conversation. Until next time, listen up and listen well. To get the most out of this show, check out my exclusive episodes available only on the Himalaya Learning Platform. Himalaya Learning provides bite-sized courses from world-class thinkers and industry experts for you to enjoy in the app on the go. To talk to me directly and access exclusive content from other shows like mine, go to Himalaya.com and enter promo code JUDGELYN for your first 14 days free. We hope you enjoy. Enjoy.